My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. One of my friends, I'm just trying to make you some money, put in context here. My job, entertain, educate, teach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Uh, how many times have we seen this movie before? We hear that the president and the Chinese government have reached a tentative phase one trade deal. Potential delay in new tariffs, maybe even a rollback. And, of course, the market soars. The Dow gaining 221 points, S&P climbing 0.86%, the Nasdaq falling 0.73%. What do we say? Hallelujah! That was easy. I don't mean to trivialize the importance of this news. It does matter. It absolutely matters that President Trump... Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. Might be willing to reduce the tariffs on $360 billion with the Chinese goods by as much as 50%. That's some of the chatter. Or also canceling or forestalling the tariff hikes that were supposed to go into effect this weekend. That would have affected a lot of consumers. China is apparently willing to make some major agricultural purchases while doing a better job of enforcing U.S. intellectual property rights and maybe opening up their markets specifically to the services and especially the financial services industry. And that's a big deal. But, and this is the world's biggest but, the days when a China deal could control the fate of the whole stock market are long gone, even as we act as if it is all that matters. It did seem that way at one time because initially the market reacted to the tariffs as they were going to cause a worldwide recession. This whole deal or no deal game seemed a lot more significant then. Now, though, the trade war has only escalated yet. Our economy is in fabulous shape. Our stock market keeps surging to records and job growth is extraordinary. At this point, this phase one deal with China, let's call it the icing on the cake. Even if it falls through, the cake's still pretty darn good. And if we get something signed, it could even be better. But as I'm about to go through it, it's just a small part of the S&P 500. That's why I want to explain what's actually at stake with this phase one trade deal that we heard about all day and how we can potentially profit from it. Because then again, it's not mad politics. It's not mad China. It's mad money. First, let's be clear. What do we get in exchange for Trump agreeing to roll back some of the tariffs and hold off on others? What's at play here? What can go right? Well, it's an agreement that very specifically benefits some major institutions. At least that's what it sounds like to me. And you're looking at them. J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, American Express, MasterCard, and Visa. If everything goes right for the U.S., this tentative deal would let them establish a strong presence in China. And they'll finally be able maybe even to compete directly against Chinese operators rather than being forced into partnerships with them where they would steal all the intellectual property and perhaps even my bank account. Okay, the financials have roared here. But I think they're still worth buying. Even J.P. Morgan, which is the most extended, that stock has had a big move. You know what? I like American Express the most of the, uh, on this because a China deal would give, give it enormous cachet in the People's Republic. I'm just looking at the pastiche and deciding that this is the one that they'll like the best. My second favorite will be Goldman Sachs, uh, which needs to get some growth here. China could provide it. Visa and MasterCard could easily have more upside. And the uh, CEOs, time and again, in the old days, have told me if only China would really let us in. Well, if they do, look out above. Again, all these stocks are excellent. And even if the deal somehow falls through, the valuations are not that bad. So other than for this one, and I happen to like it when Chapter owns it, you can handle any, any uh, deal that breaks down. And still do okay. Uh, 
I have to say that because think about what's been going on. The second echelon is tech. This morning, we got a very discouraging note from Credit Suisse about a possible 35% drop in Chinese iPhone sales. Plus, they point out that the tariffs could raise the cost of an iPhone here by 67 smackers. Apple was down more than two bucks when the president first did that tweet that made people feel better about stocks. But at the end of the day, you know what? The stock closed in the black. You know what that says to me? It says... So much for trading, not owning Apple. Own Apple. I mean, even today. Okay, this deal will keep status quo for Apple here and maybe give a nice boost in sales over there versus what the Credit Suisse note says. Hence, the rally into the close. I've been adamant that you should have some 5G Internet of Things exposure with a deal looking very likely. You know what you want to own? Yeah, my dog, who's got some sort of kennel cough that's kind of annoying. I hope he does okay. Uh, Because the Chinese regulators will finally... Perhaps let them acquire Mellanox, Israeli company that should be immediately added to earnings if it can close. The, everyone's going to get so excited, all the analysts will be all bulled up. I also think the more traditional 5G-oriented chip makers will work, even though they're up a lot. Skyworks, Corvo, Qualcomm. I'm focusing on Marvell Tech because it's still not its 52-week high. I'm a big fan of AMD, but it ran too much today. In anticipation, of still one more manufacturing problem at Intel and also some very high-speed new products that Lisa Sue put out. Uh, wait, you know what? I've got to tell you, in anticipation of delays of Intel, I'm going to say don't own Intel. All right. Now, after the Bell Broadcom reported, uh, I thought it was a good quarter. More importantly, they gave you a big dividend boost. And that works, too. Go buy fractional shares. It's just 300 uh, bucks. What else? I think people are wagering too much on some of these traditional cycles here. Uh, and that means you've got to be thinking about Caterpillar, Honeywell, or Cummins. Sure, their numbers might go up if the trade war's really ending, but I don't go crazy with them. Hey, look, I'd love to recommend Boeing if they could just fix the 737 MAX. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it can. So these, uh, Chow Trust owns this, but these we have to be careful because numbers can still come down. But you know what will really catch fire, even though it maybe shouldn't? Energy. I think the machines that control so much of the day-to-day action are set to buy energy stocks on any news, of. I think. I know this to be a fact. That's what I do for a living. Think of, I mean, I discover these things. Slumberjay, probably best in show. Chevron did well today. Exxon, down and out BP. Those are trades like Caterpillar Cummins. Don't overstay your welcome with any of these. Now, let's drill down. Let's get excited. Let's go to Hasbro Mattel. They've been trying to shift their sourcing away from China. Mattel's made a lot more progress than Hasbro. Remember we had Mattel CEO on the other day? Both stocks surged on the news today. I think that they've got more room to run. When we talked to the CEOs of Hasbro and Mattel, we were very conscious that this weekend's tariffs were going to hurt them inordinately. Um, they're really in the crossfires. Well, guess what? If we do delay or scrap December, these are going to be two stocks that you can still own and buy. I like Mattel here. I think you can go much higher because otherwise – the prices for the toys would be prohibitive. It's not just toys. The whole retail cohort's been a winner here. What is the one that has been hurt the most? Dollar Tree. It's been hobbled by the trade war. Upside. Home Depot's been trashed. Some of it's self-inflicted. Upside. Walmart and Target, they work. They spend a lot of money in China. The best thing about these retail stocks, there's not a lot of upside built into them already. Makes them attractive. On the other hand, let's talk trades. Macy's and Kohl's. With Macy's, I think the estimates are probably too high, even if the tariffs get rolled back. Kohl's needs to see more momentum from that Amazon partnership. You can return your Amazon purchases in person at their stores. These work only so far as you can throw them 
Best Buy and Foot Locker have the most exposure to this weekend's computer and footwear tariff hikes that are now being put on hold, perhaps. Best Buy had a terrific quarter. Foot Locker did not. Best Buy investment, Foot Locker trade. Nike, never in trouble. Still some short sellers betting that because of their China exposure, they would miss. Sneaker Kingpin reports next week. Investment. Just like Nike, Starbucks, never really in trouble with China. I've liked this story ever since CEO Kevin Johnson came thus at the U.S. Air Force Academy, told us he wanted to back up the truck at $81. Investment, not a trade. Trade, Las Vegas Sands, the casino company with a huge presence in Macau. Chinese gambling haven, got a 4.7% yield. Winner, winner, casino dinner. How about transports? FedEx, trade, roared today, been hurt by China. Numbers are probably too high. It can get a bounce. Investment, Union Pacific, the most China exposure and doing a lot to buy back stock and clean up their operations. Finally, some oddballs. Waste management used to sell a lot of garbage to China, believe it or not, before the trade war. Hey, stock did nothing today. I like that. Stanley Black & Decker. Sources a lot of stuff from China. That's why the stock was up 5% today. It's worth noting, by the way, the president's got the pulse. He met with the CEO of Stanley, CEO of Cummins, and, Stan- and CEO of Union Pacific. We just got to find out who's meeting me by the stocks. Now, that's a joke. All that said, I still think the best way to bet on a trade deal is by presuming something's going to go wrong, even after today's encouraging developments. Why? Because despite this tentative agreement from China, I expect them to renege. Talk is cheap. Transforming your legal system and your economy is expensive. So next week, I'm going to go back to our regularly scheduled program and start talking again about stocks that have nothing to do with the trade war. But I know people have been demanding this list. I read my Twitter feed. And other than a couple of knuckleheads who really despise me, I know that's what you want. And the guys who really despise me, you know what? You can't stay away from me. Anyway, the bottom line, now you know what works. Now you know what's going to happen. I just remember, please, these are mostly short-term trades. Not investments. And then we're going to go back next week to the hundreds of stocks that have little or no relationship with the trade war or the trade truce. Hey, by the way, once again, I mean, how how stupid was that guy with the like trading Apple? I mean, look, if you want to sell it now, fine. But trading Apple, it's supposed to make a noise. Okay. Anyway, let's go to Mike in Florida. Mike, Mike, Mike. Hey, Jim, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. I'm blasting the people who say trade Apple. Do you mind? How about those people? How much did they cost you? (laughs) I have a question. Uh, Go ahead. I'm actually calling up. I'm actually calling about Delta. Um, Delta. With with Delta, I've been holding it for a while. I have a large position in there. Okay. And they've had a good run, but they're kind of stuck in a range. Yeah. And now with the 737 kind of coming back into... uh, the service sometime in the near future sometime. I don't know if the influx of all those uh, uh, planes coming back to service with the other carriers well, is going to put pressure well, look, on let, Let's Let's talk specifically. I mean, the airlines are an okay group. They're very inexpensive. The stock of Delta is very inexpensive. The stock of Apple is very inexpensive. I would rather own Apple than Delta. Just top of mind because I still can't believe that someone took you out of the stock just today, right on the eve of the agreement. All right, the tentative deal, let's talk about it for a second while I do this. The tentative deal, uh, one trade deal with China, can give a lift to a lot of stocks, even some surprising names. I'm giving you my list. Is this kind of like subliminal? It's kind of like, let's go out to the lobby and buy some 7-Up? Use your judgment. You're mad money to buy some potential winners. But remember, a lot of these are trades. They're not investments. Mad money tonight, I'm talking to an investment, the CEO of Adobe, pressure off of its blowout report. What does the market rotation out of cloud software stocks mean for the company going forward? Then with news that a trade deal may have been reached, I'm going to tell you why there's no time like the present for China and the job exporters. 
to pay the piper. And last week, I asked the co-CEOs of Robinhood if they plan to add fractional trading to the platform. They demurred. Well, guess what? They're not demurring today. So you can go buy a dollar's worth of Apple or even 50 cents or a penny. Or you can have that Credit Suisse guy wham jam at you out of your own money. So stay with Kramer. From a product suite to making subscriptions sweet. This holiday season, Adobe has a design for giving investors some holiday cheer. Can creativity create enough Christmas spirit to make your portfolio a winter wonderland? Oh boy, some companies just don't know when to quit. Look at Adobe, the longtime Kramer fave digital media and marketing kingpin. With software that's essential if you're trying to sell stuff on the Internet, create new designs, do anything e-com like all the rest of the Cloud Kings. Adobe stock got hit over the summer, but then last month they held a bullish analyst day and the darn thing came roaring back. And now we're witnessing the next leg of this rally. After the close today, Adobe reported a terrific quarter. And all I can say is it is almost impossible to get this kind of growth, both sales and earnings, from a company this size. And that's why the stock's roaring in after-hours trading. I think it's got more upside, maybe a lot more upside, as it is trading an all-time high this very evening. So let's dig deeper with Shantanun Orion. He is the bankable chairman and CEO of Adobe to learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Orion, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks so much, Jim. Shantanun, look at these numbers. Surpassing $11 billion. You've got growth. A lot of people at one point were worried that you could stay above 20%. You far exceeded that. Which are the big drivers to make it so that you have 24% year-over-year annual growth? Well, Jim, I think most companies would be thrilled to have one growth uh, initiative that's actually paying off, and we have three, whether it's unleashing creativity, whether it's accelerating document productivity, or whether it's powering digital businesses. As you know, uh, content is fueling the digital economy with the core of Uh, what's happening across all digital. And it's really great to be able to post the kind of numbers that we did. When you first started talking to me, we talked about how everyone has a story to tell. How far along are we now that people are discovering that they do have a story to tell and they can use you to tell it? Well, digital media ARR grew 539 million uh, in terms of the net new ARR, uh, Jim. And that's a record. Uh, This is uh, years into the transition from the desktop to the cloud, and Max uh, was the most successful Max ever, and it's because everyone has a story to tell, whether you're a K-12 through student, whether you're the largest enterprise in the world, new media types are emerging, new devices are emerging, systems are emerging, and so I think we're just enabling anybody to take the creative ideas that they have inside and express it across any medium. At the same time, I am astonished that a business like the Document Cloud is still growing like a weed. Deutsche Bank, Saudi Aramco. Saudi Aramco came to you for, for, uh, for help with, the, uh, with paper to digital? Well, everybody is trying to uh, figure out how they can move uh, to a paperless society, how they can expedite automating inefficient paper-based processes. There are trillions of PDFs that are being created every year, uh, Jim. There are billions of people who are viewing PDFs. 
and the way we have extended the format, the way we've innovated across the desktop and mobile, the way we're making all of this available as embedded services uh, in the API economy so that people can embed PDF within their business processes, that's fueling the growth. I think to your point, Q4 uh, document cloud grew 31% for the year. We just continue to see acceleration in that business. And uh, we just continue to think that we've just started with respect to how PDF can help uh, with moving inefficient processes uh, to be automated and digital. Most companies, they want to go gi giant enterprise. Some want to do small, medium-sized business. I am impressed once again. You use a term that I'm going to incorporate, STEAM, not STEM, and you have ambassadors at a young age who, even in the time we've been talking, are now ruling the world. Talk to me about STEAM. Well, I think the world without arts, uh, Jim, would be a very boring place. And uh, if you're talking about, uh, you know, people who are changing the world through uh, corporate social initiatives, uh, everybody uh, really has to make sure that when they are trying through social media to get a following, to be able to tell their story, uh, to be connect uh, emotionally with their customers, uh, that's uh, the kind of uh, next generation creatives uh, that we are attracting to the Adobe Creative Cloud platform. And it doesn't matter whether that platform is mobile applications, whether that platform is YouTube, whether that platform is a social uh, media platform, whether it's Instagram. We just want people uh, to be able to use Adobe products across every one of those different media types with new emerging things that are appearing, whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality, in which you can actually enter their environment. Uh, we're at the forefront of that technology as well. So we're not going to rest uh, until every single individual has access to Adobe technology. We uh, are going to say that approximately 23 million people now have access to Adobe Spark, uh, which is a very, very simple and easy and intuitive way for people to be able to express themselves. You have also become the gold standard on e-commerce. Some brilliant acquisitions. I love to go to the, I always get Marketo. You give them your name, they, they, correct, they correctly follow up. But give us a gauge because you're real time. How is holiday season going? There's six fewer days. Well, uh, you know, what was really interesting last week, Jim, was that whether you were watching CNBC in the morning, whether you were listening to the radio, whether you were reading the news, it was so gratifying to see the Adobe uh, holiday reports, the digital index reports that are powered by what we are seeing in terms of the trillions of transactions uh, that are happening across Adobe Analytics, Adobe Commerce Cloud, uh, Magento, and Marketo. And I think what stood out for me was that every day virtually uh, has been a record in terms of digital spend. People are not just accessing websites now on mobile. They're actually transacting on mobile devices. Uh, there's billions of dollars being spent every day. We think that the entire shopping season is going to be over $140 billion. So it's nice to be at the center of not just content, but also data and providing insights to our customers so they can engage digitally with consumers. Are you able to, uh, how much are you able to keep track of some of the great Chinese companies? And given the trade war, is it a problem? Uh, well, for the most part, you know, we are a global company. We do have our products available uh, in uh, China as well, Jim, whether it's a multinational U.S. company that wants to have a consumer presence in China. So the trade wars, I mean, you know, we're all for uh, making sure that economic uh, boundaries uh, don't exist and that people can uh, conduct trade fairly. Uh, but we have so much opportunity. Uh, we are not 
overly concerned with what's happening in China and the trade war specifically right now. All right, I want to give you a chance because every time you come on, you've got something new and different, exciting. Fresco. Well, you know, I, I, I've always said, Jim, that I think it's crazy that in the, this day and age, people think that drawing with a mouse makes intuitive sense. And so Fresco is one of these new applications, just like what we did for imaging with Photoshop, uh, where we made Photoshop accessible uh, in the digital era for uh, billions of people and democratized imaging. We think the same thing should happen for artwork and illustration. And so when you look at Fresco and you look at the attention to detail that our incredible uh, engineers have done, whether it's with oil paints or watercolors, Fresco is just a new breed of application uh, that's appropriate for a tablet device. It takes into account what you can do with stylus. And it's, again, our way of just making sure that we can leverage the incredible work that companies like NVIDIA and others are doing with respect to hardware improvements, what's going to happen with 4G, so that 5G, so that this can all become accessible. Right. And how do we think about that with Adobe Sensei, which is our magic, and make it accessible to a new generation of creatives? Well, I want to congratulate you. I know there were people who mistakenly, and I would say stupidly, but I'm a gentleman, felt that you were going to go to 19 or 18 percent. I knew you were going to go the other way because you have such fabulous products and great leadership. Chantina Ryan, thank you so much. Chantina, I've got to tell you, this was a huge quarter for you, and I hope everybody realizes that it's just getting faster and accelerating, not slowing. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, go and check one of their products. You will just love it, and that's why the numbers are so great. Mad Money's back in. As we learned that President Trump is willing to roll back some of the tariffs on China in exchange for some major concessions, let me tell you why I've become such a hardliner on the trade war. It's not a new position. See, uh, what most people in Wall Street are big believers in free trade. Now, there are a million economists who can tell you why tariffs are the worst thing in the world. Uh, call me skeptical. It all goes back to my father, who used to sell gift wrap. This was always his best time of the year. He had all these Christmas wrap rolls from American-made paper in his workshop, which he called The Place. Gorgeous, loose-leaf sample books of fantastic styles for the holidays. A kitschy, throwback, commercial, colorful Santa. He repped so many mills that it was hard to find gift wrap he didn't carry. Then China decided to target the gift wrap industry. They made paper so much more cheaply that their U.S. competitors didn't stand a chance. Didn't matter if it was lower quality. It's gift wrap! You rip it up anyway! The Chinese started by taking over what Pop called the stretch band industry first. These giant golden rubber bands, they replaced 3M's beautiful sashin ribbons. Sashin used to be one of my dad's best sellers. I was so proud that I learned to make bows myself, demonstrated in Mrs. Mixer's fifth grade class at Penn Manor. These days, if you Google sashin, you know, it's a popular girl's name. Maybe there's some of the stuff on eBay. Once China got its foot all into the package business, they went all in gift wrap and then bag. We welcomed it to time. And I should add that my dad only loved doing business with the Chinese. This is a Chinese bag that he made for me. This is the last bag that he made for me. You can see it. Made in China. Okay. It's beautiful. Yeah, no plastic because Pop was an environmentalist from way back. Um, uh, they were great to him. But there's a real cost here. The people who manufactured this stuff in America before, they lost their jobs. Their towns died. Fentanyl, opiate, you get it, opiate. Now, uh, this goes well beyond gift wrap. 
we're talking all sorts of electronics, toys, high chairs, ceiling fans, this goes on and on. With each of these items, I see a group of towns that's been decimated by permanent normal trade relations with China, just like the towns that made gift wrap for my dad's jobbing business, just like the towns that would have made this bag. The economists will tell you that tariffs raise the cost of living. They're not wrong. A tariff is a sales tax. But a lot of the predictions seem overblown. I constantly hear terrifying numbers bandied about. $1,000 per household seems to have the most cogency. But anyone who studies the retail industry like I do knows that's a total crock. A lot of companies can do a lot to mitigate damage. They can always reshore these businesses. Even if labor costs in the U.S. are too high, which it often is, it's cheaper for them to move to another country, a country that doesn't have such unfair trade practices, uh, than to keep the factories in China. Mexico is a cheaper, better place. At the same time, U.S. companies can push their Chinese suppliers to eat the cost of the tariffs, threatening to take their business elsewhere if they don't get better prices. Why not? Most of these jobs are make work anyway, people. The Communist Party subsidizes all sorts of industries as a kind of a gigantic jobs program. If they don't want to cover the cost of the tariffs, it's easy enough to move to production, Thailand, Taiwan. That's why you're not paying the full cost of the tariffs, even though the media says you are. But you know what? Even if the trade war costs $1,000 a household, which it doesn't, is that really such a bad deal if it prevents people from losing their jobs and towns going under? I think it depends on how many jobs we're protecting. That's the point, though. The free traders will tell you that it's always worth the trade-off. To me, that's insane. And the Chinese government's been taking advantage of us for decades. If we're going to trade jobs for cheap stuff, at the very least, we should get a good exchange rate. This was the perfect moment to crack down on them because, they're, because our economy is so strong. Their economy isn't. I almost hope China reneges on its promises so that President Trump can ramp the tariffs back up and get an even better deal later on. But I did say almost. So stick with Kramer. Last week, we checked in with Robinhood, the privately held company that's disrupting the online brokerage space. I thought these guys had a great story to tell, but there was one fly in the ointment. Robinhood didn't offer fractional trading, which makes it tough for regular investors to participate in high-dollar-amount stocks like Alphabet or Amazon. But earlier today, Robinhood rolled out fractional trading, allowing you to buy pieces of stocks and ETFs in minuscule increments. So let's take a closer look with Vlad Tenev. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Robinhood. Mr. Tenev, welcome back to Mad Money. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back with you. Okay, so Vlad, tonight, three great American companies reported. Costco, $300 stock. Adobe, $300 stock. Broadcom, a $300 stock. Up until now, how would I have bought those at Robinhood if I didn't have all that much money? I'm one of your $10 million. And what can I do today to make it so I can own a piece of these companies? That's a great question. So up until now, you would have had to wait. If you had deposited a smaller amount of money into your Robinhood account, you would have had to wait to have enough to buy one share. And today, we're happy to announce that we are launching fractional shares on Robinhood, along with DRIP, or dividend reinvestment, and recurring investments. So fractional shares will be rolling out to customers starting next week with DRIP and recurring investing uh, following up early in the new year. We know that you've been very excited about it in particular. <laughs> you asked us about it when we came on your show last, and we've heard from lots of other customers as well. So we're really happy to be able to bring this awesome feature that really democratizes 
investing even further to our over 10 million customers. You know something, Vlad, I have to tell you, when I look at the uh, most uh, widely held for you, you've got some. No, look, there's no shame in owning a Fitbit or a GoPro, a, uh, a Cronus. But the truth is, is that I would rather see more people own Apple, Microsoft, Disney. They own some of those. But maybe with your new, uh, do you think that with this new strategy, uh, maybe we see Amazon in there. Maybe we would see Alphabet, maybe Berkshire Hathaway. People are going to start diversifying to other larger companies, correct? I think we should expect to see that. And in our research, especially when we uh, talk to customers and we do a lot of talking to customers, um, in particular with this feature, we see customers' eyes light up when they deposit $10 or $100 and the entire universe of of stocks uh, that they would like to invest in or stocks that uh, represent companies that make products they love is available to them. So like you mentioned, with as little as $1, you can buy shares in all of these companies that are worth hundreds of dollars per share, thousands of dollars, or in the case of Burke A, hundreds of thousands of dollars per share. And I think that really uh, is amazing for customers, having the entire universe of stocks available for them to invest in. Vlad, do these large companies understand that they have shut out and de-democratize the little person by having these high dollar amounts in order to please big institutions, and that without uh, Robin Hood and others like you, people can't own a piece of America because uh, they look at the dollar amount and they just say, I'm never going to be able to buy a share of Amazon. I think there, there's obviously reasonable uh, explanations for companies uh, you know, having share prices the way they are and not uh, engaging in stock splits. And what I'm excited about is with technology and specifically uh, our in-house clearing platform, which we've built and rolled out uh, over the past year, we can now use technology to solve some of these problems completely in-house. So I think uh, what I see the role of Robinhood as really helping uh, make the markets accessible, make the financial system accessible, with fractional shares and with our other products, uh, in particular cash management, which we started rolling out to our customers on the wait list just yesterday. And, you know, we know there's there's a ton of demand um, and we're trying to service that demand as quickly as possible to, to get it out to our customers. OK, so with the new cash management program, with the dividend reinvestment program, uh, with the idea of a millionth of a share, because that's going to attract a lot of people. Do you see your uh, foresee your account sizes in those 10 million growing just because people will keep the money in and it'll compound? I think that any time that we've been able to remove a critical friction or a barrier from the investing process, that's translated into customers being uh, happier, more satisfied with the product, and ultimately translated to business success. So we definitely expect to see that here. As a matter of fact, in the few short hours since we've made the announcement, over 200,000 people are already in line for our fractional share product. So I I think the early signs are, are really promising, and we just have to keep focused on what we've always been focused on, which is keep reducing friction and be the, the best place possible for new investors to start investing. And as, as you know, 50%, over 50% of our customers are first-time investors that are experiencing investing through Robinhood. 
but also we're, we're focused on improving our products for experienced investors and existing customers ranging from active to more passive investors. One, one, la- and, one last uh, question, and- Vlad. Uh, sure. I know you watch the show. You know I've been saying from looking at your numbers that millennials actually do like stocks, that there is something going on deeper in this country, a reversion to owning a share of a great American or worldwide company. Am I too pie in the sky or are you seeing it too? Oh, we're seeing it as well. I think that, uh, you know, I've watched your show since I was a kid and I first got into investing through uh, individual ownership in companies that made products that that I loved. And that began sort of a lifelong passion and excitement for investing for me. So I think if we can help uh, other young people, especially capture some of the magic of being an yes. investor in the company and actually feeling like you're part of, of that company and the products, I think will lead to an overall healthier economy and a much, much better informed investing public. Bingo. Exactly. You're dead right. Vlad Tanev, the co-founder and co-CEO of Robinhood, bringing out the fractional shares that we all want. Thank you so much, sir, for coming on Mad Money. Thanks for having me again. It's real. Go buy some stock. You don't even have to do it with a dollar. Start now, and then you'll get wealthy if you keep compounding and compounding. You take some risk if you're younger, but I want you in stocks. Stay with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the night. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? It's time for the lightning round. Let's start with Michael in New York. Michael. Hello, Jim Kramer. A big Buffalo Bill booyah to you. Hey, a big Buffalo Bill booyah. I go for it. What's up? I'm investing in the dividend stock, specifically Occidental Petroleum Corp. And the stock is at a 10-year low, and based on its current 8% dividend, in your opinion, is it sustainable, and do you like it I as think it investment? may not be sustainable. I think if oil goes where the five-year curve is, I think that you're going to end up feeling, why did I do that? So I'm not going to bless that idea, although I will bless the bills, and I like that quarterback. Let's go to Jeff in California. Jeff. Yeah, hi, Tim. We love you here in downtown L.A., where it's about 73 degrees. I've got a two-part question, Jeff. Uh, the stock that I'm looking at has very weird movement. It's completely flatlined for five months. Then it popped up two inches. Then it flatlined for two months again. Why does this happen, Jim? Is this good or bad for a stock? The stock is Ring Central, buy, sell, or hold. Ring Central, how can I help you? That's flat. We think Ring Central is the gold standard in that business, but it's so highly valued. You have to understand you buy that one only on the Dipsteroonies. Let's go to Mike in Connecticut. Mike. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for having my back. My pleasure. Um, I'm calling about Alteryx. It's had a pretty good pullback. Is it a good time to buy? I don't know, man. I'm a badass code writer, and the stock is still up 55%. I think we got to wait for it to come down further. Not only that, but the chartists have decided to raise the stock. They don't like it, and there was a raid on the stock. A lot of guys say negative things. Dean Stecker, please come on the show, please, and straighten all these guys out. We like your. We think that you're displacing a lot of the classic spreadsheets. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Jim Kramer. Joe. Always look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Joe. Uh, last week, I was in New York City. I went to Saks Fifth Avenue, and they're all 
buying and wearing Canada Goose coats? Do I buy it? No, because position? November was actually warmer than it should be. We heard that from a lot of different companies, and there's seasonal problems. You don't want to buy those warm coats when it is too warm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. going to take for down and out software as a service stocks to get their mojo back. We've seen it happen a bunch of them. Look at New, Re- New Relic. Hey, long time guests. The cloud-based application performance monitoring play, meaning the platform helps clients keep track of what their business software is doing and customers are interacting with it in real time. New Relic has been one of the hottest and most reliable stocks around. But in early August, the company issued disappointing guidance. Stock got pulverized. Investors started worrying about slowing growth, falling from mid-90s to the mid-50s. Now, last month, the company delivered a pretty solid quarter, and the stocks rebounded to the mid-60s as of today. But it's still turned dramatically from the highs. So could this be the beginning of a larger comeback? Let's take a closer look with Lou Cernes, the founder and CEO of New Relic, who just held an investor day to make his case for the stock. And I want to know that case. Mr. Cerny, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, Good to see you, Lou. Good to see you. Happy see holidays. You. All right. Happy holidays to you. And I know this must be a busy time because there are a bunch of websites that could uh, cost their companies millions if they go down during the holiday season. It is crunch time for our customers, Jim. Um, For so many of them, obviously, e-commerce companies, but also open enrollment. We've got a lot of companies in the healthcare space, people flooding online to make sure they've got the right plans. And the thing is, this is when our team is at the ready to help our customers deliver a flawless digital experience. We do that with the New Relic One platform. All right. So uh, what was your message today? Because I know that there are a lot of analysts who have been saying, green shoots, green shoots, don't give up. And I know what I thought my favorite slide. Our priority is growth. That's correct. Our priority is growth. And we've always had the long term in mind when we've done it. Uh, on your screen, you see the digital dashboard. I want right. you to scratch that out. It's the digital platform, Jim. Okay. So digital needs a platform, not a dashboard. And we spent two years building the new Relic One platform in anticipation of where the market's going. Our customers want one platform upon which to see everything going on in their digital business, application performance, infrastructure, and most recently, log machine data all in one place. That place is New Relic One, which is the platform upon which the future companies are going to make their digital businesses successful. Okay, if that's the case, November 5th, an analyst who likes your stock, uh, BMO Capital, says uh, this is for uh, says longer and thus disappointing. First supported billings growth and guidance so is very weak. Billings growth was 1% year over year. That does not sound like growth, Lou. Well, we've been investing for the long term in building that platform, Jim. It was, and we anticipated where the market was going, and we did that. And while we were investing in that, we did that at the cost of... Uh, a lot of papers. Go ahead. No worries. No worries. Uh, you know, there were some short-term things we might have done were okay. we not investing for the future. But we think that when, when this all plays out, our platform is going to pay the dividend. Okay, so now we go to uh, your CFO and corporate secretary who says in the November conference call, turning to cash flow from operations, $9 million, Free cash flow is defined by cash from operations minus capital expenditures and capitalized software development costs. Negative. Negative $8 million. We can't have that, Lou. Well, we're a growth company, Jim. We're investing for growth. And so, so uh, as, as we've built out the platform capabilities, we feel like that's what the market needs. And our customers are telling us great things. We think as we look out, the unit economics are great. We've got among the very highest gross margins of any SaaS company. So the unit economics are great. And as our customers adopt the platform, it'll show up in cash flow and, and, uh, and ultimately profitability. So can we say, as some of the analysts like J.P. Morgan wants to say very much uh, in a note from, again, 
for November. Second quarter, signs of stabilization, mm-hmm. encouraged by some of the early commentary. Uh, it, and maybe the cash flow guidance is going to get better from here. Well, I don't want to talk about anything different from what we have said okay, already on our, on our guidance. So we feel good about our guidance. But what we do believe is that we have now delivered the platform. We have everything we need in place, the products, the platform, and the field to be a billion-dollar business. And now it's time to focus on a performance culture. But you did push back your timetable for when you're going to be a billion-dollar business. We still feel comfortable with uh, being a billion in the time frame that we've, we've put out to the, the new street. time frame, yes, 2023. New, that's right. And, and that's still a healthy, growing business that will have nice margins. And there's plenty of upside from there. We, we're not looking to stop at a billion. We worked on this platform. We started the platform work thinking to ourselves, what does New Relic need to be a $4 billion business? Right, okay. And so the platform is the underfi- underpinnings that will support the growth beyond the billion-dollar Okay, rate. so how is the churn and how is the upsell for those thousands? Huge number of $100,000 customers you have. So, yeah, one of the things we're really focusing on, we talked about in our investor day today, was that we have 900 customers today that pay $100,000 or more. And when you look at that segment, they retain very well. They retain well north of 90%. Um, so, and they grow their spend better with us. The average customer in that segment spends 450000 So our strategic goal as we think about growing our business is to add to that number of customers. We want to add 1,000 of those customers over the course of our journey to a billion dollars. Well, I'm trying to understand your pricing. If my uh, retailer, my, my business, my website goes down in, for 16 hours, it could cost me $10 million dollars. Why am I not paying New Relic more? Why can't I get New Relic to make me pay more? Oh, well, we actually have many, many customers spending far more than a million dollars with us. Um, I think the last number we quoted was 80 customers plus spending a million or more on New Relic. And I think our largest customer is is around the $10 million a year spend rate. So we certainly have strategic value. And now with our platform, we're making it the natural thing to bet larger, uh, larger investments on. We just want to put that base of $100,000 customers in place so that will sustain growth far beyond the billion-dollar okay, run you have said in your conference calls in the analyst meeting that there's no, there's, absolutely, there's no demand issue, right? That isn't what drove the stock down. It was just you had this transition. That's correct. But it was not, there's not less demand for new republics for New Relic's product. I'm grilling you on this, Lou, because it's not going to hurt. And I've been recommended for a long time. So you Jim, know here, Here's where we are. We're in the age of software, right? Okay. And so we're in a software economy. I believe there's going to be more software written in the next 10 years than there's been written in the last 50 years. Okay. I'm about to turn 50. So in all my life, there's been less software written than there will be in the next decade. We are well positioned to be the platform upon which people deliver more perfect software. If you look at the right time frame, if you look at the, if over the long term, we believe we're well positioned to sustain great growth. Okay, so uh, what can we say about the new platform versus the old digital dashboard? Do the salespeople understand it? There were questions about European salespeople. There were questions on the conference call about just nitty gritty about who's selling what. Well, as you know, we have transitioned from being um, and uh, we started off as an application performance right. management company. Then we added these other products. And what we decided to do, which was we believe, you know, visionary and ahead of the market was put it all into a single platform that that integrates those products well together. And and um, as we are doing that, um, that has required our, our team to understand and evolve how they sell. We've gone through the training to help enable them to sell okay. the platform, and that's what we're focused on uh, going into the rest of this, the back half of this fiscal and into the next fiscal. Well, I should emphasize this is your fifth anniversary. I think you had to take that next step in order Absolutely. to be able to get to that billion. Uh, all these transitions are hard. Yes. But you have uh, your timetable, 2043, we're going to hold it to your billion, right? And you feel confident. 
We do. Look, um, I decided to invest this in, in this platform because we've all heard of or read The Innovator's Dilemma. Absolutely. We it's so to get, tough. We needed to get out ahead of that before right. we, we had no choice in the matter. So we invested ahead for that platform. That came at some short-term mm -hmm. cost. But I've always uh, managed the business for the long term. I'm the largest shareholder in the company. And so I'm thinking about New Relic for five years from now, and I'm excited where it's going And I am so glad you're here because, you know, I believe in you and I believe in your product. And to see you in person, have you say that means a great deal to us. Happy fifth anniversary. Thank you, Jim. Okay, absolutely. All right. That's Lou Cerny. He's the founder and CEO of New Relic. It is the best software. And they've got a brand, brand new. Let's cross out dashboard. Let's use platform. Mid Money's back after the break. I reiterate, most of those ideas at the top were trades. I typically don't like to do that, but I know that's what you've been requesting. So please be very careful with these trades. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.